Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. The following is a reading from my book, The Ethics of Understanding, or The Ethics of Understanding God, depending on how you interpret the title, God is Crossed Out, or spoken of under erasure as we say in philosophy. This is a chapter that will be controversial because of the current climate of intellectual thought and the current reduction of philosophical terms to pop culture cliches and other forms of misinterpretation of the nuances and depth of meaning that we have from the philosophical and theological traditions. Postmodern Hermetic Mysticism Jewish scholar Moshe Adel demonstrates in absorbing perfections the medieval Jewish mystic Abraham Abulafia exercised deconstructivist methods in his Kabbalistic writing and practices, thus showing that the works of the mystic not only support a postmodern, post-structuralist retrieval of mysticism, but even more, the mystic's spiritual trajectory necessitates this revision, having made use of it already in the past. Idel states that in the medieval Jewish mystics, and in this case the deconstructive interpretation of Moses' encounter with the Egyptian magicians, and the supposed miraculous and supernatural intervention by God in hardening the Pharaoh's heart, Quote, we witness not only a radical semantic form of hermeneutics, but also a deconstructive radicalism which affects the grammatical structure of the text for the following reasons. If Elohim points to natural forces, then the intervention was neither extraordinary nor miraculous, but natural. Therefore, the introduction of the term teva dramatically altered the message of the verse. In fact, Someone may even argue that the volitional theology of the Bible has been replaced by a more naturalistic understanding of reality. Some of you, I will note here, might be familiar with Gershom Sholem, the famous and first proper scholar of the Kabbalah from an academic and scholarly point of view. Idel is his predecessor and teaches 
at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And if you have any chance to read Idel's work, especially uh, Kabbalah New Perspectives and then his masterpiece, Absorbing Perfections, I highly recommend you do so. You don't really need a solid knowledge of Hebrew or Aramaic to delve into Idel's work. And he is, he is, Idel's research is what actually showed us that uh, the blessed Raymond Lowe, the proto-Christian Kabbalist as he was thought, because no one had any proof that he had been influenced by Kabbalists. So in his uh, theories and philosophies of the spheres and circles and stuff, we didn't know if he was influenced by a Kabbalist, but it was Idel's recent scholarship that showed he was, in fact. And I did a piece on that previously on my podcast. Adel shows that the medieval mystic Abulafia uses deconstruction to interpret the scripture radically and incidentally in a way that pushes God from supernatural to more natural, though this is not the main point here. The transgressions of the canonical reading of the text are clearly seen in Abulafia. The mystic, in order to understand God, opens through the interpretation that creates an aporia in the canon in this case, reinterpreting the name of God, Elohim, as a name of natural forces. But this is not the full extent of deconstruction's roots in mysticism. Edel also shows a parallel between Derrida's famous saying from of grammatology in the Apadaor text, which means there is nothing outside of the text. And, of course, Grammatology is Derrida's famous groundbreaking work that has a picture of the god Thoth, or Tehuti, on the cover for very good reason. Idel says that Derrida, in saying there is nothing outside of the text, is using the same method of Jewish thought employed in saying there was nothing outside of the law, Torah. Idel suggests here, parallel to the concept of God as Torah and Torah as God, the obvious, text as God, or perhaps even the text as transcendental signified. Whatever the case, Edel shows a clear conceptual and methodological commonality in Derrida and the Jewish mystic's thought. Both represent a freedom and opening of interpretation models by asserting the power and dynamism of written texts as things read as texts in some way. For mysticism, if anything, has always been an openness to God, spirit. And this very openness allows for new visions and hence revisions. Note, an interesting thing to mention is that Jewish mysticism has always made use of more terms to speak of the complexity of this relationship to God. There are many levels or degrees of spirit in Judaism. Guf, Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chia, and Yechida. These Jewish mystics employ to help illustrate the forms of experience extant in mystical ecstasy and dialogue. However, it is only with the highest of these, the Yechida, that Jewish mystics would denote as the ultimate transgression from semiotic to pre-semiotic or symbolic to real. Compared to Badiou, Zizek, Derrida, and Corrington, all who have concepts of abyss, void, Korah, operative in their theology, Jewish mysticism sees this experience with the Yechida as annihilation. Hence, they cite Genesis and Enoch, who knew God and was not, 
compare with Gershom Sholem on the Kabbalah and its symbolism, also R.A. Kaplan's Sefer Yetzirah for in-depth outlines and explanations of the terms used above. Nevertheless, while mystical dialogue often practices the openness, the Derridian apparatics, we can see within deconstructivist thought that mysticism is still limited. The horizontal base of the mystic tradition itself subdues much of the possible furtherance that postmodern and other future writing would bring. Thus, by the introduction of the epicletic element, epiclesis, a play occurs as the mystical tradition of the past fuses to the horizon of the present. A couple terms I'll talk about there. So, again, when we're speaking of postmodernism, we're not speaking about it in the way that it's become distorted in the last uh, decade. Um, We're speaking of it in a sense of its literal cultural archaeological or <laughs> architectural element as, as a change in culture and ways of thinking from the, from the ground fundamentum upwards to the, the roof or, or spires of our thought. We're also talking about it in the literal sense that we are after the modern era, quite literally. But we are also looking at it in a post-structuralist sense. And for more of that, I highly recommend my book, which makes short work of elucidating all of these points, which have become increasingly fuzzy as literalism and anti-intellectualism have taken hold of our intellectual and scholarly traditions for, obviously, political ends and economic ones, let's be honest. So, when we speak of epiclesis, epiclesis is the moment in liturgy where the Spirit descends through the priest. The priest becomes Christ and transforms with the Holy Spirit the bread and wine into body and blood. That act of Spirit, transforming the symbolic into the real, is what epiclesis is. And that's why I say, by the introduction of the epicletic element, a play occurs as the mystical tradition of the past fuses the horizon of the present. This is not perhaps so much an addition of any concept or idea to the tradition, rather a nuanced part of the mystical tradition waiting to be retrieved. I am trying to hermeneutically retrieve the transgressive interaction between cataphatic and apophatic traditions. While epiclesis participates in the defining of mysticism, this epicletic facet of mystical dialogue further adds dimensionality to what already exists. We understand mysticism, but we understand it in a very limited way, a way that seems to always lead to one of the two extremes discussed already, elitism or New Ageism. This text defines mysticism, specifically that facet of mysticism I turn mystical dialogue, by way of the incorporation of the general economy of this essay's theme, epiclesis. Altogether, my definition may escape strict definition, save to say it re-explores the limitations imposed by Kant's philosophy that, as Kevin Hart describes, tried to anathematize mysticism from the sanctified domain of holy philosophy, as well as to gloss by a vast generalization of its disciplinary content. I highly recommend the work of Kevin Hart, and obviously I don't mean the comedian. The openness of mysticism in every arena is to be reasserted, 
Given the horizons of the first two chapters, mysticism could be said to be needing liberation from the fixed symbolic structures of religious institutions, as well as from the imaginary departures of new spiritualisms, what I term New Ageism. Mystical dialogue, which leads to epicletic dialogue, part three of this book, needs the transgressive epicletic element today for certain reasons. The threats of closed elitism, diffuse capitalistic new ageism, both touched on already, destabilize the entire economy of mysticism so that it is either irrelevant or farcical. If it is reserved exclusively to the saintly few, it has no general relevance. If it is wholesale enlightenment, as in the many enlightenment-made-easy bestsellers, it cannot be taken seriously. Epiclesis restabilizes this economy in a few ways. Against closure and boundary, it posits the role of spirit, the vitality of nature as a necessary component in signifying processes of life. Moreover, the transgressive activity of spirit in the event of human understanding that is, spirit's ability to respond and bring about the ethical act. To New Ageism and to the popularization of an anti-intellectual idolatry of subjective relativistic narcissism, Epiclesis removes the spirit from the domain of human control and disenfranchises the consumer economic control of enlightenment. If Derridian deconstruction can aid mystical theology, then it is by means of this liberating of the mystic from all extremes of the spectrum, exclusivism, non-existence, and exploitation. The elite spiritual master, the materialist, and the new ager would obliterate the relevance of mysticism for us today in the pursuit of their own self-fulfilling ends. However, their goals are to be defined. This liberation in regard to epiclesis is that of dialogue, through the opening of dialogue, we advance towards a more satisfactory, open relationship with everything semiotic and especially pre-semiotic and, in particular, spirit. I uh, hope you enjoyed this little glimpse of my opus magnum, my most, uh, yeah, 250 pages of the best thing I will probably ever write. So... It's on sale on Amazon, The Ethics of Understanding God, Nature, Politics, and Mystical Dialogue. I hope you uh, go get yourself a copy before I raise the price and uh, drop me a review. Thank you very much and have a lovely day. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon. And uh, 
seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.